I just finished season 4 of Avatar Legend of Korra and I'm having a big sad because I have no more Avatar to watch. The Last Airbender was a really special series for me as I've mentioned before and it's extremely rare that a series like that gets a sequel series or further media of any sort that comes close to matching the quality of the original content but um, I think Legend of Korra pretty much does it. It's different, sure, but that's what makes it good. Anyway, season 4, for those of you who haven't seen it in 5 years, or however long it's been since it originally came out, focused on the Earth Empire and Kuvira's vision for a united nation uh, for the future being very much a totalitarian dictatorship. And while we saw in the previous season how a monarchy doesn't work with the uh, ruthless emperor, uh, empress even getting overthrown and killed and all of that kind of stuff, we also this season got to see how a dictatorship doesn't work either. In fact, season four is all about extremes and how um, no extremes are very good. It's called the Book of Balance for a reason. And Toph uh, quite openly tells Korra about that all of her enemies, uh, they might have all had a point, uh, which is as close as we're ever going to get to the equalists being, uh, you know, considered in any light other than just villains. <laughs> so I'll take it. But yeah, how they all kind of had a point, but the way they went about it and the extremities that they um, pushed for it is what was bad about it. And that is Kuvira in a nutshell. I've skipped over the fact though that this series opened with a massive time skip and I do like a nice big time skip as long as it's, you know, natural and is paid off later on, which this one definitely was. Not only does it allow the usual room for character development and growth, but it also um, gives us a very rare opportunity to see a main, char main character legitimately feel the effects of a defeat. Or not a defeat, she wasn't even defeated, but of... Um, things that were done wrong to them, like they, a legitimate injury, usually uh, in fiction that stuff is dealt with pretty quickly because you want to keep the pace of the story going, but in a big old time skip like this you actually get to see Korra's long recovery process. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, uh, the words Korra's long recovery process, uh, if you spoke those to me at the end of season 3 I wouldn't have been pleased, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to a recovery arc. I thought that would be pretty dull, but it's actually some of the best parts of the entire show for me. The speech Toph makes to her about how she is resisting uh, recovery because she's scared, and it's like, well no of course I'm not, like clearly this is what I want, um, but in the end it ultimately is her who was stopping herself from uh, having the metal poison, the remnants of it, uh, removed from her was really powerful and I think it's, I mean shows like these are made to resonate with the most amount of people possible, right? It definitely resonated with me. Like just the battering Korra has taken throughout this entire show, of course that's going to affect her on an emotional level. Being that close to death so many times is going to resonate with you on an emotional level, it's realistic in that sense. Being in denial about who you are and your motivations and your ability to do things on your own, that is a hugely important uh, theme to explore, even for a character like the Avatar. Especially for a character like the Avatar. And I thought it was a really nice touch how they made sure to note that even when the metal poison, uh, the final remnants of it had been removed from her bloodstream, um, she was still having issues with flashbacks and all of that kind of stuff. It was very important to establish that it was not a physical illness, it was very much a mental illness too. And she dealt with that by going and 
um, talking to the person who did harm to her, which isn't obviously a flat-out across-the-board good thing to do, but in this instance it was very much uh, constructive, and it was oh, it was really nice to explore all of those themes, I loved it. One of the cool things about a time skip is its ability to make you go, wait, what? How the hell did that happen? That seems wrong. And this series opens with Berlin working with Kavira, who, while she isn't openly presented as being a villain outright to begin with, uh, the it's very much the hints of it are there and you kind of get the gist of where this is going to go. And I think it was an interesting choice to have Berlin working with Kavira because uh, we have already seen how selfless he is as a person and so we as the audience already know uh, that he's kind of been hook, line and sinkered into aiding Kavira with her Earth Empire stuff, you know? like. Um, you get the impression that uh, at some point he's going to realise what's going on, and uh, he definitely does. The relationship between Varric and Julie was an interesting one that I didn't know I needed, but oh boy was it wholesome and lovely and wonderful, and it was very nice to see them get married at the end. Even if the proposal was a bit abrupt, um, it was nice all the same. I think Varric is a delightful character, he's, uh, he's very funny, and Julie, uh, it was nice to see her be like, oi, let me let me have like a bigger part in your life. I don't just want to be your fucking assistant anymore. That was cool to see. I liked it a lot. I thought Marco in this season was kind of boring. Actually, now that I think about it, I think Marco throughout all four seasons was kind of boring. He was just used as a as kind of a stilt for the love triangle stuff, which they kind of backed away from in the final two seasons. But like, I don't know. Outside of being a whingy lover boy. <laughs> He was our road to uh, stuff with Chief Bei Fong, and she was cooler than him, so I appreciate him being in the show for that, but I don't know. When I first saw him in his character design, I thought, oh, he's he's going to be, like, one of the cool characters that I really like or whatever. But actually, now that I think about it, I'm not I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of Mako. Like, don't get me wrong, he's cool enough, and he's he's good with fighting and stuff, and he's dreamy and all that, but... I don't think he really had much character development outside of, oh, I love this girl, but now I love this girl. But wait, no, now I love that girl again. Oh, no, it's all going wrong. Ah, I'm so embarrassed. And then afterwards, how do I deal with the awkwardness of being in a friendship group with two of my ex-girlfriends? They stuck him with the newly appointed character of Prince Wu in this series, and I think he deserved all of the um, annoyance that came with that job role. Maybe I'm being slightly too hard on him. As for Asami, she had the whole plot thread about getting back in touch with her dad and all of that. Besides that though, she didn't really do much, and I hate to say it because I do like Asami, but she doesn't do a whole lot throughout most of the show. Um, I feel like, as weird as it is, um, the characters that got the most development in the Avatar gang uh, were Korra, obviously, but also Bolin. And Bolin, I say weirdly because like he's kind of marked up as being com comedic relief, but we get so much from him. We get to see his actual, the depths of his actual selflessness. We get to see him lava bending. We get to see him, you know, learning how to um, have a good relationship. And like, he gets a whole load of love. And I really do like the character of Bolin. But it just goes to show what the other two could have been. Maybe if they had a little bit more uh, love put into them. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at that the wrong way though. I must admit, the one thing I knew about this series going into it was there was something about Korra having a same-sex relationship at the end of a show, and I thought that was really cool. 
but it kind of spoiled it a little bit for me in both senses of the word because um, at the end there's this really nice tease where um, she and Asami, um, they've been getting closer and closer throughout the entire series and they finally decide to, you know, go on vacation together to the spirit world and the last shot is of them, um, like, moments before they might be embracing as they enter the portal to the spirit world. And that's really nice and really cool for all of the people and I'm sure people liked that when it happened. But because I had been giving this foreknowledge uh, and I didn't know the details, I was just kind of like, oh, so that's the extent of that that we see. I was kind of hoping for a little more. Um, not just because of, um, you know, I was kind of led to believe that there might have been more, but also just because I don't think, like, there was a huge amount of Korra and Asami stuff in the show. If you compare it to The Last Avatar, that was a relationship that was built up over the course of three seasons, and when it finally paid off, it was a really nice feeling. Um, but Korra and Asami, they had a few moments towards the end of season three, and then a couple of points throughout season four, but it's not like a constant. At no point during a fight are they like super concerned for the other's safety, like, you know what I mean? I don't know, like, I just feel like it could have been fleshed out a little bit more and it could have been a little bit more rewarding when it happened, which it didn't even really happen. These are on it picks though, because I fucking love this show. I can't express to you how much I loved this show watching it. Kavira as a villain, I guess, could also have used a little bit more fleshing out. It felt like after the final fight when Korra was talking to her and comparing herself to her, um, it was almost like, I don't know if I missed it, but it felt like we were getting important exposition about Kavira after the entire fight had happened, which was a shame because it would have been nice to see her as a sympathetic villain before that point. Um, like, I didn't even know she was an orphan until, you know, that conversation was happening. I think I might have honestly missed it, but I don't know. Um, and yeah, I guess I was gonna talk about the show in general later on in this commentary, but I guess it makes sense to tie it in here when I say that the main difference between uh, The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra is that The Last Airbender was one story thread, or not thread, sorry, one story arc which took place over three seasons and had a massive lead up to the end and was a massively rewarding payoff, whereas The Legend of Korra was four smaller stories which had interconnecting threads and stuff like that, but for the most part, like, there's four different villains for each season, you know, there's four different things that happen each season, and I really like both approaches, um, for various different reasons, but I think one of the low points of the Legend of Korra approach is that you don't necessarily have the time to flesh out everything that could have been fleshed out or that you would expect uh, after having watched The Last Airbender. Nevertheless, it was cool to see the big mech fight happen, or, you know, can you call it a big mech fight if there's only one big mech involved? I think the choice of big mech with giant laser gun on its arm uh, was definitely a kind of like, look how far technology has come. Uh, in this world, like this is what metal bending led to, um, but at the same point it's almost like a tipping point of like, at this point the spirits had fled back all back to the spirit world because it's saying that humans with their technology have pushed too far because once again this is about balance. And I think it's important that that fight ends with a new spirit portal being opened up um, and a whole bunch of a city destroyed. Uh, because, you know, now there's m more spiritual stuff and less technological stuff, it's kind of more balanced again. Uh, I think that was the main point of that fight. So yeah, season 4 was really good. If I had to pick a favourite season, I wouldn't be able to, because all of the seasons had points that I really loved about them. Season 1 did a really good job of establishing the world and how it was different, uh, but how it was still 
rooted in Avatar lore, uh, with all of the bending being utilised in new and interesting ways. And also, it explored parts of a story that uh, the legend, not the legend of Aang, we that that name does not exist. The Last Airbender did not have a chance to like. Um, the Last Airbender touched on bloodbending, but it was only in the last season, it was only for like a couple of episodes. So they really went to town with like, what if someone had the power of bloodbending and they were able to do more, you know, skeevy shit with it. Season 2 is probably the most important season out of all of them. It had the biggest scale of uh, a battle, I guess. The most important lore, we learned how the Avatar was established. Uh, we learned how the world fundamentally works with spirits and bending and all of that and how that could be thrown out of balance and how the most important event in 10,000 years occurred. That was a pretty damn amazing season. I really liked learning about all of the lore there. I loved how much we learned about the uh, city of metal bending in season 3 and how we were introduced to Lin Beifong's sister, Su Beifong. More Beifong is always good and also it was really cool to see how the airbending stuff came along with uh, the new nation rising and all of that. That was pretty neat. And then as I just said in season 4, my favourite thing about it was Korra's development as a character and how she learned uh, more about herself on her process of recovery and that was just handled really well. As for the show in general, it's better than I could ever have hoped for. Like, I said it earlier, but it is so rare that a beloved series gets a successor uh, or a spiritual successor of any kind that in any way matches the quality of the original product. And um, I think the general consensus from what I've heard is that The Legend of Korra is almost as good as The Last Airbender. And I would go slightly further uh, to say it's just as good. And I'm not sure if that's because I only watched uh, The Last Airbender last year, um, so I don't really have that kind of nostalgic connection to it. I'm just rating them as stories kind of next to each other. And I don't know if my sense of recency has anything to do with this because I've only just seen The Legend of Korra, it's fresh in my mind. But man, this show, I'm so glad that they did another. And while I know that if they carried on making subsequent sequel shows for this, it would eventually decline in quality, and that would be sad. However, part of me really wants them to pull a Doctor Who with this, and for them to just keep going, maybe not, you know, constantly, but like every five or ten years come out of a new series that has been really well thought out and developed and all that kind of stuff. Um, have it be a big generational gap every single time, we could always shake it up later down the line, but have that been a main established thing. Uh, I really just want more of this world and to see how it continues to develop and change. I know that they're doing the Last Airbender live action show, but apparently the original creators pulled out of that because of creative differences and that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about that show, which is super sad. Or at least that's what I've heard. I love how The Legend of Korra didn't ruin anything that The Last Airbender did by just having it be a direct sequel show and having just a slightly older Aang go through a lot of these issues and all that kind of stuff. Um, because if they did that, they would risk undoing a whole load of stuff that The Last Airbender actually did. It would feel very shitty to have a free season arc leading up to, like, basically world peace, and then you need to have more conflict in the world, and then to have it happen immediately so we can uh, see what a slightly more mature Aang who has uh, mastery over all the elements and a bit more wisdom to him, um, what that would be like. I think that would have been the wrong call. Um, but I love that they explored that with Korra, like, I don't think they ever explicitly say how much time has passed, but something like 50, 60, 70 years, judging by the ages of Katara, uh, Toph, and 
Wait, Nova's are the only two alive. Oh no, Zuko. How could I forget my boy Zuko? So yeah, not only did the show show us what Aang built um, and have new conflicts not feel like it was um, undoing that because it was happening later um, and it was a different kind of conflict, um, but not only did it show us how the world had evolved from what Aang had built and how what future what the future looked like after him and what his kids were like and all of that, but it also allowed us to explore what an avatar who has reached that point that Aang had at the end of a legend, uh, uh, the last Airbender. Uh, I have lost track of his sentence, but you know what I'm saying, so we're gonna continue. Basically, Korra's fighting experience picks up where Aang's left off, except for the Airbending part, and it was more about what it was like to see her grow as a person. Um, how she understood the world, how she connected with it, and how she fit into her role as the Avatar. It was a really deftly done thing. I honestly cannot decide if I like Aang or Korra more. I like them so much for different reasons. I love how Aang overcame great grief and adversity and uh, kind of like used his love to heal a broken world and um, topple a really corrupt and warmongering nation. Uh, that was really amazing to see. But I think I love Korra's journey within herself even more, how she develops as a character, how she finds peace within herself, um, and how she acknowledges her emotions and deals with that, and how she, for all of the times that I've rude for Love Triangle uh, in this show, how she eventually uh, comes to uh, we are led to believe uh, love Asami and how that plays out. They're both good. They're both just so good. If you haven't watched these shows, I don't. I don't know why you're watching this video. I've just ruined them both horribly for you. I'm so sorry. I can't undo this. However, I did warn you, so I guess I'm not sorry. I guess I'm just disappointed. I decided to watch this show because a um, time of great change had occurred in my life, uh, and I wanted a show which was positive about the spirit of change, about uh, a world which was not quite the same one that you were used to, that was missing a key part of the world that you loved, but was still amazing and worth exploring anyway, and this show provided that in spades. Both The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra are going up there with my favourite shows of all time, and I know I sound like I'm getting choked up, but I've just got a really bad cold and my throat tickles. The show definitely had me tearing up at points though, so, you know. Thanks for listening to what this geezer thought of what animated show came out five years ago, what what a in it, and I will see you in whatever I like to talk about next.